You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is episode number 42 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. If you like this podcast, subscribe, rate, review. Just do it. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hello, dreamers. Rory O'Malley here. How you doing this week? I am the host of Living the Dream. I am so grateful that you have downloaded and you are listening to Living the Dream. I have a wonderful guest this week. The stories that this man has are so juicy, (laughs) so great, so fantastic, because he has been a casting director for some of the greatest TV sitcoms that have ever been assembled. Frasier, Modern Family, Wings, Ugly Betty, and he got his start on TV casting for Cheers. So that'll tell you a little something about the the kind of career a man has had when he starts with Cheers. He was an actor first. This is Jeff Greenberg. He has such a wonderful story that starts from being in theater and loving the stage, loving actors and performing and his story of how he got into the TV world is pretty remarkable. He has such great stories about other actors, other famous actors who he cast, who had ups and downs of their own. His story about Lisa Kudrow, who was in Frasier and then was asked to leave Frasier after the pilot and then ended up in Friends. It's remarkable. That is, I, I know it's like sad, but the fact that Bad things happen in this business all the time, and you might wind up in friends. <laughs> it's such a, it's something we all got to hold on to, right? So he has that story and so many others like it. He is a actor's casting director. And yes, of course, all casting directors are actors, casting directors. But he has such a wonderful rapport with all actors. You can tell that he enjoys his job and... That's why he does it so well. Uh, Please listen to this wonderful conversation with my buddy, Mr. Jeff Greenberg. So thank you for joining me, Mr. Jeffrey Greenberg. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for asking. Um, We're here on the Fox lot where you've been working on Modern Family for how many years now? This is the ninth season. Wow. Uh, And uh, it's a great old movie lot. I love driving through the gates every day. It's thrilling. Just steeped with movie and TV history. Yeah. I mean, so many huge movies, let alone TV shows, but like, like wasn't Sound of Music or something? Yeah, or Sound of Music. Sound of Music. We just walked by Young Frankenstein mural I know, where you par- Fra- have your car parked in front That's of. That's <laughs> right. And the Modern Family soundstage is where they filmed Young Frankenstein. Right. So they sort of christened it the Young Frankenstein stage and we, you know, are under the watchful guise of Dr. Frankenstein. Yes, and, and Mel Brooks. And Mel Brooks. I mean, the, every corner of this lot has history in it. And I was, as we were walking here to, to this office to record, I was seeing how in Los Angeles, sometimes you feel so separate from the industry, you know, and it, there's not a real sense of community in the way that you can walk down Broadway and feel like you're a part of it just because you're on the street. Exactly. Right? But when you come to a lot at a studio, 
you are in this incubator of creation and absolutely and every m- movie lot has its own personality paramount is another sort of old time movie lot that it just you just don't feel like uh, Gloria Swanson driving through the gates, yeah. you know, it's just, it, it's that. And then other lots are a little more uh, up-to-date and modern, like Universal. Sure. And it's just a different vibe. And, and they're all great in their own way, but they all have their own special thing going on. But the history here is yeah. pretty incredible. Um, you have worked on some pretty incredible shows. You are casting director for Modern Family right now, which is still the hottest show on television, nine years running, and is without a doubt across the board, the greatest ensemble of comedic actors put together in the last decade. You are also responsible for having done that in the last few decades with Frasier. You've worked on Cheers. You, you've Wings. Wings. I'm a huge Wings fan. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, come on. There were there. You were at NBC at in the heyday of of those sitcoms that were my upbringing. Right, basically. It was those years, the must see TV, must see TV. And when I, you know, I run into people from that time. We talk about that golden time. The word golden comes golden, up a yeah. lot, and uh, it was really special. And even then, we savored it and loved it. It was so much fun. You knew how special it was. <clears throat> so special. And the television production of those kinds of shows were so prolific then. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> there weren't enough sound stages to house them all. Wow. Like when I was at Paramount, there were probably 15 multi-camera shows being filmed there and they had to go to other lots and do them but and that, bring audiences in yeah yeah but it's you know it's a cyclical time very there's very few of them on now yeah and uh but so much tv there's a so lot of tv t- just oh not God, the more than ever because of all the new platforms yeah 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 so uh in how did you started out as an actor i did I so did. how did you go from being an actor to being a casting director well i one of my job jobs when I was an actor, I got a really cool job at the Mark Taper Forum uh-huh. <clears throat> at the Music Center in downtown Los Angeles. Right. And uh, I became sort of their extra person, and I worked in lots of different departments, like publicity, audience development. I'd be a PA for this and a house manager for that. And I started working in casting, just as sort of an intern and assistant. And I loved it because as an actor, I got to read with with actors and be privy to auditions and sort of figure out what that was. And one of the casting directors there, Linda Francis, left there to go cast movies. And I was still an actor, but occasionally she'd ask me to fill in for her an assistant or if she needed an extra hand occasionally. At a certain point, she needed a full-time assistant for a movie she just got at New World Pictures. It was their first film called Angel, Honor Student by Day, Hollywood Hooker by Night. (laughs) Very classy. <laughs> Great tagline. And um, she wanted a full-time assistant. So yeah. I wasn't working very much as an actor. I was very much a struggling actor. And I said, sure. And on that day, it was like Alice through the looking glass. I walked through a door without knowing, but my life changed. And on that first day, I not only loved it, I got it. For some reason, I just understood what casting was about 
because all that I had learned and been been absorbing as an actor right. for years, I just understood it. All those years of reading the fine print of those theater world books, yeah. and I have a photographic memory for stuff like that hmm. without trying. I just remember every end credit crawl and every TV show and movie I ever saw. Right. And I just knew actors. I remembered actors. That's a lot of it, isn't it? It is. Oh, it's for sure that. Filing away actors and Absolutely. what they do. Yeah, a lot of it. And yeah. you, have, you have to have a huge vocabulary of actors. Yeah. Anyway, I started working with Linda and I never acted again. And I worked with her for about three years casting movies uh, primarily. And uh, then I got this huge break. I mean, I really got a big break. You talk, People talk about, hope I get a big break in Hollywood. That doesn't happen very often. Right. You're lucky to get little breaks. Yeah, yeah. A couple of guys who I knew when they were struggling writers, all of a sudden were the new producers on Cheers. They were looking for a new casting director who, and this is by edict from Glenn and Les Charles and Jim Burroughs, the creators of the show, they didn't want a casting director from television. They wanted someone who had done theater and worked on movies because they wanted fresh faces. They were firing the casting director from Cheers. Yeah. Because they felt he was bringing on too many familiar faces from other TV shows. Uh. So they wanted someone fresh, especially someone who loved theater. Well, that was my background. And somehow I got that job. Somehow it was my first job on my own. And it was on Cheers. It was already a hit show. It was for the fifth season. Okay. I ended up staying for seven years. The fifth year on that show was Shelley Long's last year. So I just worked there for about a month or two and was told we have to replace her next year. So I was in charge of finding Rebecca Howe. And I found Kirstie Alley. And when that happened... My career then exploded because it was like a big find. Yeah. And it propelled this huge hit show to even be a bigger hit. Yeah. And Which was absolutely unheard of because you have a dynamic between uh, Ted Danson and Shelley Long that was the epicenter of the show. Absolutely. And w- it was the biggest show on television. I watched it. Every Thursday night, it was very, very well, important. Well, your background, in my household. Just yeah, growing up in a bar. I grew up in pubs, you know. <laughs> like, my, my, I always remember the opening of Cheers. My mom would almost tear up, and she'd say, "This is just like, you know, the old days, or like what my father oh. grew up in." And you know, it was to me, it was a, a story that I was familiar with. You know, that I knew, and I was oh, like, "There I are know. no kids," but I was like identifying with the norm at the bar stool. <laughs> I melt when I hear that theme song. Yeah. I happen to have heard it recently at the Emmys. They, yeah. They were playing sort of at the awards show during the commercials and all. They sometimes play yeah. TV themes. Right. When I hear it, I'm just, it just takes me right oh, back yeah. there. Yeah. Do you know I did a one-man show pub crawl right. at, with Irish pub songs and the story of my growing up in pubs, and I sing the theme song of Cheers. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, it's like the third song. Are you doing that show out here? I, I'm trying to, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to get my act together and, and you know, between the eight shows a week and all the stuff that's yeah, been going yeah, on yeah. since I got here, well, but I will. I I will. And you will be I'm the, already, I'm already the first invite. I'm waiting to get a ticket. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but the the fact that she was leaving the show and that, you know, the number one show on television had to find a replacement for that... 
everyone was kind of ready to be like, this is, this is it. The show's over. It can't, it can't keep going. I'm sure there was just so much pressure. And you find a star. Well, they, they, all they said to me, because they hadn't even written the part yet, they wanted someone diametrically opposed from Diane Chambers. Right. They wanted someone very earthy. You know, Diane was flighty mm-hmm. and blonde. They wanted someone dark and earthy. And, and the first image was of an ice queen. Right. And I had seen Kirsty do a production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof at the Taper, directed wow. by Jose Quintero, and she found this incredible humor in Maggie the Cat that I had never seen in another production. And she was, you know, stunning and just those cat eyes and she was great casting. And she was my first idea. And I and it Six months later, she had the part. I mean, I fell on my sword for her. It was a very long, protracted casting process. Um, And it was all done in secret for many, many reasons. Mostly that she had proclaimed to all the networks, I'm not doing television. Really? But she loved the idea of doing Cheers. Yeah. So it all was done. We, you know, she read with Ted and Rhea on a Saturday on the deserted Paramount lot. You know, because that's where Cheers filmed. The, yeah, and they about. didn't want to film it. The producers right. didn't want to film it, so there was no record of it. And then, you know, the network wasn't really behind it. They hadn't seen her be funny. Right, I understood. Anyway, it just because she had been on in like Star Trek, wasn't that before? Yeah, that was her first yeah. big job. Right, Lieutenant Savick on Star Trek. Right. Well, she was genius. I know, and f- so funny. And to, as a fan, as a fan yeah. of the show, she came in and it, it brought new life into it and probably kept it going for, right. you know, those next four years. I mean, not that it wouldn't well, have, She was but, there a total of six years. Wow. Shelly was there for five and she was there for six. Wow. So it was an awesome, awesome time. And she really was different Shelly personally, too. She was a real guy's gal. She right. was one of the boys. Yeah. And she and Rhea... Rhea finally had a, like a real girlfriend on the show. Cause yeah. She and Shelly, they didn't have that relationship. Sure. You know, but Rhea and Kirsty became best friends oh, and nice. still are. I mean, they really? love each other. And everybody embraced Kirsty in an incredible way. That's great. So, and that, and casting wise, off of that, it wasn't just that I got the job on Cheers, was casting Kirsty on Cheers. My career then really just exploded. Wow. Yeah. Um, you could tell that that cast was so close. I remember after the final episode of Cheers in 1993. <laughs> You're laughing. Oh, I remember it. Oh I'm God. telling you. I'm I couldn't huge, even tell you that. Oh, 1993. I was in sixth grade. I know it very well. Um, I remember watching Jay Leno because Jay Leno had just taken over The Tonight Show that, that year before. And he had the whole cast on. And they were... Wasted. They were. They, <laughs> they were. were it was from the Cheers Bar in Boston. Yes, that's where they. They were all like watching the show, and they were going to have interviews. And Jay Leno couldn't get a, a sentence out of any of them. I, re- I remember watching it on television, just loving it, but horrified at the same yeah. time. They real. I mean, they weren't tipsy. They were drunk. Yeah. Oh no, they were drunk. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is the real Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> this is you know, like out of all those years of Cheers, no one was ever drunk. Right, right. It's <laughs> this true. is here we go. It's true. Um, but I'm sure from that experience, your career exploded. What was that? What did that feel like? If that's your first gig 
in the TV world and all of a sudden you're the go-to guy right. for TV well, casting? Well, during, I mean, I just got just offers for all, for lots of those kind of shows. And, yeah. You know, and I, I just had so much great work that, um, from producers that I loved and Glenn and Les Charles and Jim Burroughs, they were doing all sorts of other pilots and all. And it just, uh, you know, cause I, I had a persona of sort of a one-time actor. How did he get to be a casting director type thing? Right. And then, then it just defined me as the casting director. Right. When, when that when all worked it. so well. But, but are a lot of casting directors actors first or no? I, yeah, I think a lot are. I, I mean, mean, I, th- I would, you know, you don't, makes st- there's nowhere to study to be, except, you know, I think I could be wrong about this. I think at Ithaca College is the first college that has courses for casting. Wow. And because you can't study it anywhere. Yeah. You know, you have to learn on the job. You have to learn on the job. And it's, and so you have to get your foot in the door by having a past doing something else that makes a little sense. And being an actor uh, is, is a, an obvious way to sort of sidle up to it if you've studied theater or film or television right. or communication somehow. Well, and also like for you to, be able to put yourself in the shoes of an actor who's coming into a room. That's to a huge part of it, Rory. I really just from the get go, when I started working with Linda Francis, I could communicate with actors in a way she didn't come from that background at all. I could communicate with actors in their language right. and the way I would read with them, the way I could give them notes, the way right. I could talk to directors, the way I could analyze the script, the the text. That was all from being an actor. Right. And all those skills, that's why it just like solidified for me all of a sudden. It, and it was my acting training that was turned out to be combined with my sort of knowledge of actors from when I was really little that I just remember I just remember them. It was just the right combination of everything. When you say, and this is going back a little bit, but when you say that it clicked and it all started making sense, was there a point where it was difficult for you to let go of being an actor? I think a lot of actors have other interests, and especially within the industry, and have a hard time putting aside that dream of being an actor and opening themselves up to what something else. was weird, else. I think, when I started working on... With Linda full time, I think I snuck out to one audition. I and it was for a chorus line, I think. Oh yeah. And I, I didn't get very far and came back and didn't never said anything about it. But I thought I was going to miss it more. But here's the thing: when I read with actors, I'm not performing, but I get to act. Right. So I get to actually it for somehow satisfies that gene within me, the the ham bone that I am. Yeah. I get to work with actors. Yeah. Acting-wise, say, and on a lot of my shows, the writing is really great. I get to say great things, yeah. not performing and not with that kind of pressure on my shoulders, mm-hmm. but I get to have that fun and it satisfies that need, that partial need I had from when I was an actor. Right. So I still get to do that. Yeah. That's why it's, I have the best job ever. And it's so perfect for me mm-hmm. because of my passions of what I love to do. It mixes all those things. And you have the right personality for it. You have to be a people person. You do. You have to really enjoy being with people. And and you have to love actors. You do. 
really. Which not not everyone does. <laughs> no, no. And you, of course, your patience gets tried. Yeah, but you do have to. You have to love actors yeah. and and understand, like you said, the vocabulary Absolutely. that they use. And so, you are starting off into. You probably had your pick of what next things you wanted to do after Cheers. You st- did you go? Were you st- working on other shows while you were doing Cheers? Yes, like Wings. You, yes, Wings. Yeah sort of was uh happened like the last four was on the last four years of cheers and the right. first four years of fraser so okay. it, was, it was on for eight years and the producers that brought me to the attention of glenn and les charles and jim burroughs they created wings right. so they asked me to do that yeah and that was turned out to be a magical that was my first pilot i ever did right which is a different thing right a really different thing. how is it how is it different casting well, it's a pilot so hard to find Actors, first of all, there's there's you're serving many masters. There's yeah. so many people. Not only your creative producers, showrunners, the, the who are conceiving the characters and the material, but there's so many people at the studio and network level. Today, in 2017, there's so many more of them, and their their fingerprints are even more on everything. But back then, there were plenty of people to have to please. But just someone, you don't want someone. Very good. You hmm. want someone great. Right. You don't want A minus. You want A plus right. in every part. Right. And they're just hard to find. There's a million actors and a million good actors, but there's not a million great actors. Right. And there's a lot of. Not only do they have to be right for the part and be really good or funny, they have to have chemistry with the other people you're trying to cast. You're also working with a budget. Sometimes you find the right actor and you can't make a deal with them. You right. just can't. And Which has got to be so frustrating. Well, it's really frustrating. <laughs> it's really frustrating. Yeah. But, you know, the actors and their agents really hold all the cards. Yeah. When you want them, right. they know yeah. that they can hold out. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work out and yeah. you're back to square one. I think for actors, it's like they are so rarely in a position of control that sometimes they probably really, you know, relish in it. It's at that moment. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's yeah. it's the golden ring, you yeah. Know? And uh, sometimes that's tricky, but it's just it's just hard. And they always, you know, the studio and the network, they always want fresh actors that they haven't seen a million times, and they're just the standards are very very high, right? So you, but you went on and you kept casting all the episodes of Wings as well. Yes, and that. sometimes that's not the case, right? Like sometimes people cast a pilot and then it's like somebody else takes over. Right. You often don't continue on with the show if it wasn't a great experience. I see casting the pilot. Sure. Either you just you're not jibing with the producers. Sure. They don't like you, or you don't like them, or sometimes you just have too much to do. Right. You know, but. Uh, there's been a few pilots I've cast that I have opted to not go on with Continue. it because yeah. he, they just they weren't producers I loved being in the room with. Yeah, and it was just too and stressful. you know how much of a day to day relationship you're going to have to have with these people. You yes, know? yes, but it was it's usually a mutual parting of the ways. Sure. You usually are either in you know. sync or you're not. Right. You know, but yeah, there there were and there are a lot of other sitcoms that came and went during that time that I worked on. Yes. Some of them very unsuccessful. There was a spin-off of Cheers called The Tortellis with oh my Dan Hedaya who played Nick Tortelli, yeah, yeah, yeah. husband. He and his next wife 
uh, Loretta Tortelli, played right. by Gene Kasem. The, they, they yes. Had, yes, there was a show. They moved to Vegas, and it was 12 episodes, oh and it didn't God. work. Yeah. It didn't work. I'm going to look that up. Oh. I vaguely remember that, and I'm upset that I didn't don't have every episode yeah. in my memory. Yeah, those those were great characters. You had so many great characters coming into oh that God. show. Every one of them could have had a spinoff. But of course, the 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 big one, Mr. Kelsey Grammer's yes. Frasier. You cast that pilot and were there bringing that whole group together. Absolutely. What was that like? It's such a unique thing, taking something from Cheers. It was magical. It was. It happened... Very uncharacteristically, it just worked from yeah. the get go. The, you know, it the those David Lee and Peter Casey and David Angel right. were the ones who recommended me to the Charles Brothers and Jim Burroughs. Oh, okay, who created yeah, yeah, yeah. Wings. When Cheers was over, Kelsey wanted to do another show, and he wanted to work with them, and they wanted to work with him, but they said, "But let's not do a spinoff. It should not be Frasier." So they tried to hard as they could to come up with another idea and they just couldn't land on the right thing. Right. So they went, well, let's give Frasier a try. Right. The, they, they sort of created these characters, the prototype for Niles, the brother. They had When we went to New York to cast Wings, we went to see the Heidi Chronicles. David Hyde Pierce was in it. Wow. They remembered him and... They just thought, well, he he's such a great comic actor and he looks like he'd be Kelsey's brother. Yeah. He's a great prototype. And when they were writing it, John Mahoney was guest starring on Cheers as this rinky-dink jingle writer, right. Cy Flembeck, okay. who was a bad jingle writer that Rebecca Howe hired for the bar. Uh-huh. And he was great and he was loving it. And I asked him knowing they were conceiving Frasier still. It wasn't even written that he was going to have a blue-collar father. Yeah. And I asked John, "Do you want to? would you be interested in doing a show like this full-time? He says, if it's as good as Cheers. So I filed that away. And then by the time they went to the network to pit, pitch what Frasier was going to be, he's got a brother, Niles, someone like David Hyde Pierce. They went, we love David Hyde Pierce. He, if you want him, he's approved. And the father, we think he's someone like John Mahoney. We love John Mahoney. He's approved. I mean, we didn't even have to, we didn't cast, we just, just offered knew. those guys those parts. Wow. Well, I mean, for, they had been established as New York theater yeah, actors, absolutely. right? And then they had done some TV and film as well, of course, right. but like, they were legit. Oh, yeah. David was Broadway on a, a flop series that Norman Lear produced called The Powers That Be. Okay. With a multicam show with great cast John Forsyth, Holland Taylor, Valerie Mahaffey, wow. Robin Bartlett. Um, and um, so they knew him at NBC for that. Yeah. When when my producers went there for that pitch meeting, they said, you know, there's going to be a healthcare worker. And NBC said, you know, there's a there's an English actress we really like named Jane Leaves, and she's been guesting on Seinfeld and Murphy Brown. And they went English. Well, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, we'll look into that. And then I when they when they came back, they said they're sort of interested in that Jane Leaves. I said, oh yeah, she's great. So I called on her and they went, she, her agent says she's got three other offers on the table for other series. So I went, guys, we, you know, she's got other offers. Yeah. They said, well, let's bring her in right away. So they quickly wrote a scene for her, audition scene. I brought in three other actresses, including Cynthia Nixon. Wow. Pre, you know, pre-section. Sure, scene. yeah. And uh, four, the four actresses 
Um, oh, no, you're fine. I'm good. I'm always checking to make sure that it's just recording. Good. Uh, we read Four Actresses. Uh, Kel- we Jane was our favorite. We called Kelsey over from the Cheers stage. They were still filming the last few episodes of Cheers. He read with Jane. It was great. Wow. We told NBC we really like her. They said, well, she's approved. She's yours. <laughs> So, I mean, we, you know, all this kept happening. Right. The only little, you know, bump in the road was we, for Roz, the yeah. Roz Doyle, they didn't know what they wanted. They said, Jeff, bring us every age, ethnicity, style, type, just great comic actresses. So I brought them about, I don't know, 40 or 50 actresses. And we narrowed it down. And Kelsey read with like six or seven. And we narrowed it down to our top two that we took to NBC to test. And they were Perry Gilpin and Lisa Kudrow. Wow. Pre-Friends. Yeah. And NBC made their choice because they were both great, and they chose Lisa Kudrow. So Lisa was our first Roz. Wow. We started rehearsal, and we rehearsed for a week, and then we had like a test audience a few nights before we were going to shoot the big show, and her scenes were not working that night. And Jim Burroughs, who's directing, said the problem is... She's too much like Daphne. She sort of has a Daffy quality. Right. So the so Kelsey's Fraser's relationship at home is sort of the same at the office. Right. And he's not going to get enough pushback from Lisa's version of Roz. Now, Lisa did exactly what we hired her to do. She's yeah. hilarious. But it wasn't right for the 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 big picture of the show. Right. There, there, there needed another color at the office. Right. So... Jimmy said, you know who you need in this part? Not knowing Perry was the second choice. He said, you need Perry Gilpin. Who really? We had worked with a couple times. Wow. And I, we went, well, that's our other choice. He said, that's who it should be. Wow. So sadly, we had to fire Lisa when we were heartbroken because we loved her. Well, she's a genius and that's genius. clear. Like you don't, but, but that's, I think people don't realize how you can have a genius. You can have a comedic, amazing person. And it's just not working. Well, that's one of the, these great casting stories. Because it, yeah. it was happy ending. You know, the next year she got friends, right. which was a better part for her. Yeah, yeah. And But even someone as good as her, yeah. it wasn't that she wasn't good. It's, she wasn't quite right. Yes. And sometimes you don't get the part because you're not the most right one. Right. And, you know, when I bring in actors to audition for guest parts on Modern Family or whatever, and I'll bring in four or five actors, we hire the one that's the most right for them. I bring in right. really good actors yeah. and they're all good, right. but who, who suits the material the best? That's You're putting gonna... together a puzzle. Exactly. And you need to find the right piece. Well said. It's not that it's a bad piece. It's just not the right piece for this puzzle. Yes. I mean, it's the, the, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is yes. for stories like that. Because I think people get it so... I can only imagine how crushing that was for her. As, as it was devastating for yeah, her, and I spoke sure. to her because she, I was friendly with her. You know, I put her. You know, I hired her for the you know Michelle and the Romeo oh, yeah. Michelle part. Oh yes, yes, years you were saying before, before we started. Yeah. And she guest starred a great episode of Cheers, where she right. was doing Emily in our town with Woody. Oh really? Where she had very dark hair. And, oh, I have to look that up. So yeah, she did. It was one of her first jobs. So I knew her and loved yeah. her, and I spoke to her the evening that we had to fire her, mm-hmm. and she was very classy about it, but I could just hear the heartbreak in her of voice. Of course, and, and knowing what it was going to be. It's, not, it's, it's very unique with a, a show like Frasier, where you're like, it's going to last for well, a certain we, period But we didn't of time. know at the time. We were shooting a pilot. Yeah, we, that's and we true. Didn't, and until, 
I mean, the audience know. reaction was crazy. Really? And a lot, you know, a lot, you know, I've done about 50 pilots over the years. Yeah. You're creating this whole universe and, uh, and creating and writing a pilot is so hard because you have to create a backstory and a place and dynamics that are new to yeah. the, an audience. Because Frasier was a character that had a decade of backstory, the audience was already along for the ride. Yeah. And that was a huge part of its success. Yeah. Was that they already knew the Frasier character. Sure. It was a huge part of the success, but it was also a challenge to be like, come along for another decade of yeah, this yeah. guy's life. What I, I emailed you the other day because I turned on Netflix and it suggested yeah. Frasier. And I was like, well, yes, sir. All right. I'll, right. I put on the pilot and I watched it with total amazement at how lean and efficiently it did what you just said that it had it 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 got you to where he was then within the first scene that he's talking to a caller on his on his radio show right. i thought my god what wonderful writing to be able to ha- have him talk to a those creators were so smart they said they knew the show would be compared to cheers right and cheers was you know heralded as one of the great iconic shows of all time he said what are all the ways we can make it different every single way we can come up so they they moved the location right. from Boston to Seattle they changed his profession right. from shrink to a radio talk show host mm-hmm. they surrounded him with new characters in mm-hmm. his life within the show they gave the show another look there's no interstitial music throughout the whole show in Cheers there's a few bars that lead in and out of scenes yeah there's also no exterior shots in all of Frasier. You know, at the, you know, whenever you see the Cheers bar, you see the staircase sure. going down first. Those establishing shots yeah. all over Boston they use. Yeah. There's never been one exterior shot on Frasier. Now, it's subliminal. You, I mean, I you're a Frasier fan. I never noticed it. But they wanted to... They, everything they could come up with that gave it a different feel from Cheers. Right. So, no music, the... the the exterior shots, and they added those, um, those the title, t- title cards, cards yeah. which gave the show just a different rhythm. It was revolutionary. At the time, <laughs> because it, sort of it was. You know, it feels like, okay, that's something that this show would... Now people try things more because there's so much more out there, but it was never done before where they would title each scene. Right, right. So they were just, they just had a feeling it had to be as different as they could make it because it was so cheersish anyway. Sure. A, with Kelsey, and B, with the style of writing. Right. You know, the same kind of writing. Yeah. Very, you know, um, smart. Yeah. Uh, playwriting almost. Yeah. Um, I had the good fortune of getting to work with Mr. Kelsey Grammer. You did. You did. <laughs> Not as many episodes as Frasier, but I did 10 episodes of, of a TV show on FX called Partners with Him and Martin Lawrence. And it was a masterclass for me because every situation that we could possibly be in in our script and that, he's already played that, that scene. You know, in, in a different variation and a different character, but he knew how to make everything work. So even when he wasn't directing the episode, he was the one to go to to say like, okay, so wait, how are we going to make this the funniest? How are we going to make this work? And he was so commanding and such a leader on that set. I mean, obviously he, he was our leader, was our producer. He was, it was the first time I was acting with my boss. Right. I've never right. done that before. But he, 
he was I just learned so much from him. Yeah. He's a craftsman. Yeah. He really understands the written word and the subtleties involved and he just his instincts are flawless. Yeah. And he doesn't belabor things. No. He he relies on his craft and instinct. Yeah. And he on on Fraser, he really you know, he and on Cheers, he wouldn't learn his lines till late in the game yeah. to keep it sort of fresh for himself. Sure. And it just it worked yeah. for him. Yeah. No, he he was he was great. He was also just really funny around the set because he was like, let's shoot this pig. Yeah. And he'd always be like, bloody hell. He always, I don't know if that was his warm-up or what. but He's he, been doing that as long as I've known. Yeah. Him. I was yeah. like, okay. But it was interesting, too, when he transitioned from Cheers to Frasier, he was all of a sudden number one on the call sheet. Yeah. You know, on Frasier. Sure. And Jimmy Burrow said to him when they were rehearsing the pilot, he says, you're Ted now. You know, Ted was the leader of that sure. show and sort of the the great cheerleader. Yeah. He said, you have to assume the mantle of that, that responsibility. Right. You're number one now. Right. And Kelsey heard that. Sure. And he became a different version of Kelsey that was more the leader instead yeah. of an ensemble player. Right. Right. You've brought up uh, Jimmy Burroughs a few times. Indeed. Um, obviously, he's a legend in the TV world. What is it like working with... What does he bring to the table that makes him so unique and has made him so successful? Well, he... You know, he's the son of Abe Burroughs, who's a, you know, classic Broadway playwright and right. creator of so much stuff. You know, mostly Guys and Dolls, I think, is his greatest right, 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 yeah. And Jimmy started out in the theater stage managing his dad's shows. Really? Yeah. And uh-huh. he would restage shows for national tours and he was steeped in theater for the you know for 15 years yeah. and that's where he learned his craft right and he got a job as as an observer on the Mary Tyler Moore show because he was the stage manager of Breakfast at Tiffany's that you know infamous flop show starring Mary Tyler Moore and Richard Chamberlain hmm. and he knew Mary and he got in touch with her and she said you can come and observe and they let him direct an episode of Mary Tyler Moore. And he said it was just, it was like fish to water. It was just staging a play. Wow. He just, but it was all his craft from the theater. Yeah. And he learned the camera stuff mm-hmm. easily enough. And so he will tell anybody, he said, you know, it's all about learning your craft in the theater. That's yeah. where you learn it. Well, especially. Because that's all you have. That's yeah. also, it's not just the technical. It's how to deal with actors. Mm-hmm. Talk to actors. Stage the actors. Relate yeah. to the actors. Yeah. And he's so good at that. Yeah. Yeah. I I tested for something for him once, and I got to meet him. And I was like, I didn't get it, but I got to meet James yeah. Burroughs. He's a very intimidating guy. He's he's He wasn't, uh, he didn't lead with a hug. But, <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, but he was he was lovely. He was totally great. fine. He, um, I'm doing an, another series called Superior Donuts. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And he, he um, directed the pilot last oh, year. We're on okay. our second season now. Right. And he directed most of the episodes last year. So I got to hang with him again. Wow. And, uh, you know, he's, he's my mentor. So yeah. it was a real treat for me all over again. He's as great as ever. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that uh, tribute that they put together for him... Um, which I talked to Mary Lou Henner on the podcast about. Right. I was there that night. Oh, you were? Of, yeah, of I got a 
very sweet shout out from the when the Fraser gang was up on the stage. That's amazing and well deserved. Yeah, but I mean, uh, so night. so much of a, a success of James Burroughs is that he has this network of people who, you know, I've seen people like him bring the right people on board, and and like you are that person. You are the secret sauce of like what's given right. him so much success. Right. But they always when he's described, many people use the phrase he knows how to mine the comedy. Right. He it he finds comedy in the white part of the page. Right. You know, it's not just the words, yeah. which are you know, crucial. But he, listen, on that Cheers bar for 11 seasons, he kept finding new physical business. Yeah. Using props from a bar. Right. 11 years worth. Yeah. You know, that's incre- almost 300 episodes. Yeah. And yeah. he just, he just keeps, somehow, he's just a, a bottomless well of Invention, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, no, he's 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 amazing, and he certainly has learned, like you said, a lot from the theater. And I'm, I'm, I think that theater is still being applied, obviously, to TV and film. But it truly feels like multicam was a natural evolution for for actors or people who are doing it because it is a play. It is you're putting on a show for an audience. What do you feel? Like, because you love act. I met you because you came to see Book of Mormon. That's how I first That's met right. you. So you love theater still. Love. You see everything on Broadway. You love actors from the theater. So, so many people that, I'm, that I interview are, are theater actors. Um, but obviously, TV and film is something that everybody strives to be a part of because it's so good for your career. It's so much fun. It's I love being on a TV show because <laughs> I forget my lines, I can just say it again or you know like it's 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 there's a lot of um fun and joy and play that I think is really great about it. Um but it's a different animal and you see a lot of theater actors that you love come in to audition for you who are trying out a new skill. It's a different medium. What are the diff- what are the things that you see that you're like, "Oh, they're not really getting this or s- somehow they're clicking into it?" Or is it not different at all to you? It's it's a different dynamic in that uh, you you can just be more subtle. Yeah. You know, I think you approach it differently. I always tell theater theater actors that are just not that used to being in front of a camera I said, just picture, you know, I said, when you do these like multi-camera shows, there's four cameras filming all the different actors and different stage pictures. Just think of yourself always in close-up on one of the cameras, which means you have to do very little. Your face is filling the whole screen. Yeah. And if there's a live studio audience, they're also seeing your face on a monitor. Right. So you don't have to project to the back row ever. Yeah. And if whether it's a multi-camera show or a single-camera comedy like Modern Family, the camera just, if you just are, if you just be, it's picking up yeah. almost your thoughts. Yeah. You know? So if you understand the word, you can just say them. And the the blend of who you are and your intentions in the scene and your devotion to the written word and just be as real as possible and right. simple as possible. Just, Somehow it works. Just say it. Just say it. Yeah. 
and just if, throw and if it away. the writers have done their job, and on a show like Modern Family, they've done their job. It's right. great material. You shouldn't have to do right. that the biggest much. note I give, even on Modern Family, is just throw it away, do less, because the yeah. words do so much work for you. Yeah. And it's my job to know if you're right for it. Right. You don't have to make yourself right for it. You are who you are. You can't change that, especially right. if you're coming in for like a guest spot or something. You're not going to like find some new character that is so different from you. You just need to be the person who can say these 10 lines in this exactly. scene. And it's obvious the moment you walk on, on the, right. into, into the shot. Right. Um, but it's, it, it's definitely like for me, I've, I've been on sets. Like I just did an episode of a single cam show and you know, I've done enough TV, but, but some of it has been multicam. So that's a lot more like, a stage. Yeah, it's it's a heightened reality. It's less than stage, right? But more than single camera film. Yeah, it's it's a blend. They're just each medium is a slightly different yeah thing. So, and how did that work out for you? Well, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it was it was Crazy Ex Girlfriend with right. Rachel Bloom, and all my scenes were with Rachel Bloom. And so it was again like being with Kelsey Grammer that the the person who is in charge is my scene partner. You know, and that's kind of freeing because we whatever we did was what it was she wrote the episode yeah. you're like you're good but i was laughing at myself because it had been probably a year since i'd been in, in a single cam uh setup and i was talking to her we were on bunk beds and i'm looking down at her and the camera was off to the side and i was cheating myself to have the camera see my face as if it was the audience and i was like oh no this is not what I am supposed to do. This is like real life. Talk to her. The camera will figure out where they have to be. Right. And if they tell me that I need to cheat my face or something, but it's so natural for me to go on a stage and make sure that the audience can see me that I don't even know I'm doing right. it. I remember on Cheers, uh, Roger Reese became a regular for a year. Yeah. Robin Colcord. And I remember when he Robin. first started, he would turn to the audience. And it would be a two-person scene, yeah. but he'd cheat front. Yeah. Thinking, because also because there was a live studio audience there, that right, he there needed is an to do that. But his instincts kicked in to do that, and he had to keep being reminded: you don't have to do that. Just lock into your scene partner. Yeah, it's just you know you're, you've been doing so much theater for years and years and years. Yeah, you're and trained. You continue to that you you're not being seen 360 degrees. You're right, just right. Right. They're in front of you. No, and like hitting marks, you know, all that stuff. Was, I remember when I first did a multicam, they said, all right, you're going to be on camera four. And I started looking into the ceiling, like, where is camera four? I only see three. I didn't, you know, there's, it takes a while to get used to it. Yes, and, and the, in a multicam, and Jim Burroughs is good about teaching actors on a pilot how to find their camera too right to make sure they're clear you just finally get a sense of it it's also like sometimes you have to find your key light sure the way it's written and you can just finally feel it and you can just shift over three inches and you can feel that the light is as it's meant to be right you know on illuminating you. all of you yeah yeah um so you have had these great experiences, and now you're in a show for nine years with a cast. You also have a lot of kids in this mm, cast. Yes. And that's got to be a very different experience. These are brilliant actors, the young people that you have on, on Modern Family. I mean, and it's been amazing to get to watch them grow up from from on TV. But for you and for everybody in this production, you're literally seeing them grow up behind the scenes as real real 
young people. I mean, they're young adults now, but right. what is that like? And what, what is the experience of casting pe- people, children? Well, it was, it was a very, the whole cast was a hard cast to put together because it was a house of cards. You're, you're, there's so many siblings and children of, and you want to make it feel very familial that, that, uh, you know, Mitchell and Claire seem like not only brother and sister, but they must seem like whoever's going to play Jay, the father. And then Claire and Phil's kids should feel like they come from those loins. And yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, you're just sort of have all these puzzle pieces together. We got really lucky with the kids. They, the, the Dunphy kids, um, Luke, Alex, and Haley, they didn't have a ton to do in the pilot. So we just, you know, found the best kids we could. And we were really specific. And uh, they they weren't as hard as finding the adults. Yeah. Except the role of Manny was really hard, though, because, you know, it was, you know, uh, I saw 194 Hispanic boys between the ages of 8 and 11. Right. And of those 194, only eight of them were good enough to take to the producers. Wow. And even then, there was no slam dunk. Yeah. You know, because the ones who were really the most experienced were also the most slick Hollywood kids. And that was exactly what we didn't want. Right. So it was very challenging. Here was a part of a, you know, 10 or 11-year-old kid channeling a 40-year-old Lothario. Yeah. And it's it was it was beyond comprehension to even most of the kids what that meant yeah so it was very tricky and we ended up with rico who we really had to help along at first and change some words because his speech was a little unclear and uh but the the uh growth learning process and the curve for all these kids they just got better and better and everything as the show went on and the pilot was picked up anything they would write them they surpassed so they kept writing them more and more and their parts got bigger and bigger and all of a sudden we realized uh, Nolan who plays Luke is great at physical comedy and so they would just put him they would write to that yeah and uh, it it just it was one again it was really a hard cast to put together and we didn't have our Phil and Claire till two days before we were going to shoot the show really yeah it really came down to it it was tough and uh but and we didn't even know it would be a success. We didn't even know the show would get picked up beyond the pilot stage. You don't know. Yeah. And then, and on set you didn't know. But when it was edited together, it just was like, what? Really? Was, That's I remember when you the first knew. time I saw it, it was like a revelation. I went, it was like nothing I had ever seen. Yeah. It was just so beautiful. Really, like realized. out of the gate, was it? Yeah. It was. It was out of the gate, which People is so. People were talking about it before. In fact, they did an unprecedented thing every year in New York. Uh, all the networks take all of their shows, new shows, and their new schedules, and they call the upfront presentations for all the affiliates right. and everybody involved, and they rent out uh, Carnegie Hall or Radio City, Radio City, yeah. or. It's Lincoln Center, whatever, yeah. and they show clips from all the shows. When they got to Modern Family, they showed the whole pilot because wow. it just they didn't they they just thought it defines itself. Yeah, 
and it's so blue. Everyone should see this. Yeah, and it, that and they, they had never done that before. They showed the twenty-three minute pilot, and that they, it would hold the attention of a yeah. huge room yeah. like Radio City or yeah. wherever it was. And there's that huge reveal at the end where you realize it's all one family, right? Because there's the you see oh, the I three families all that. the way, and that's you don't know that they're all connected. No, until you the don't end. until the, that last scene. That's brilliant, and it just out of the gate, it just was you know huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, it's one of those things that's out of the gate, but you have all of the players involved right. who are pros who have been right. doing this. But every putting together that cast was hard because Steve Levitan and Chris Lloyd, the creators, their standards are higher sure. than high. They really sure. are. And every every adult role in that was offered to other people who passed yeah. on it. And we had so many auditions and tests. And yeah. we got so many no's. And... Uh, you know, Ty Burrell tested four times, you know, and they... And it could not, and he could not be more perfect. Well, they, yeah. And, you know, it's like, it, it's, but it's, that's how it is. And that's how it, to get to a place of, of, right. I don't know, of, of like when you have those high standards that the creators of Modern Family right. have, and you have to fight for that part, like you have the pros coming together at the, at the oh right God. time, right moment. They, we couldn't find a Claire. It was two or three days before we were going to shoot. There were no, I had no more comic actresses to even bring in. Yeah. And I'm going over my list and there were two actresses who I didn't bring in because they were pregnant, very pregnant. Julie Bowen was eight and a half months pregnant. No. When she auditioned and then shot the show with twins. What? Eight and a half months and I brought her in just because there was no one else, and she was great. Yeah. And I, I didn't ask to bring her in. I just was going, well, if they like her, maybe they can work around it or delay somehow. I, I didn't even, I was desperate. Well, thank God. She was, you know, the deus ex machinus. And she shot that show, and she is pregnant all throughout the pilot. And she hides behind counters and refrigerator doors, and she's folding laundry oh and blankets and bending over. So, they, and they didn't have to reshoot one frame. They hid it so well. But, I, you know, I didn't bring her in for 11 weeks because yeah. she was so pregnant. Yeah. That's remarkable. And I had to persuade her to come in to audition. Yeah. Because she was sort of booked out. She was... She's like, I'm not worried. I'm yeah, about yeah. To, go, to blow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, like, of course. And you would think that, like, well, what's the point of putting... Because even when an audition is a really big audition, you're like, that would be amazing. You know to get in front of someone like you and the creators of Modern Family, right. who already had such a reputation, you have to be at your best because you don't get a lot of opportunities to show them what you can do. Right. So if you're eight and a half months pregnant, you're like, well, this is not going to be something that i want to, i'm not i have to put all my energy towards my my body and my well-being right right i mean that's i had no idea i had no idea i'm definitely going to watch w- the pilot for modern family you now will, you will be hilarious at how it's hidden and jason weiner our director just kept being so creative right. jason's so great yeah all oh, right from 1600 pounds yeah yeah he was just at hamilton last week oh he was he was yeah he's awesome yeah, it, it, he's gonna have a baby soon. Yeah, I know his yes. his wife was yeah, Jackie yeah, Sidon yeah. was in Happy Days the Musical with with me at, at Gary Marshall Theater years ago. It always goes back to Happy Days the Musical. Always, always. always. Um, I was just thinking of Gary because when you were telling stories of of stage actors going to TV and not knowing exactly how to be on stage on on set. Gary, when he was directing us in the play, anytime he would put put the actors through the blocking and then say he wanted to run, he'd go and action. <laughs> he'd always call action before right. we would run something on That's stage. So cute. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I'm so grateful for your time. I know you're a busy, busy guy. You got a show, a hit show in its ninth season well, when to take Rory care of. Well, O'Malley calls, <laughs> you gotta, you know, you gotta come. Yeah. Well, I'm. I really appreciate all of these stories. This is magnificent. It's you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of everything you've ever done. And um, back at you. I I appreciate your friendship and and your time today. So thanks. Anytime. Audition side jobs, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.